if anyone in the world can do it, so can you. If people can get that, I hope to give that to my kids. Like, if you want to be an astronaut, why wouldn't you? If you want to be the president of the United States, why wouldn't you? Like, you can. You just have to figure out what it's going to take to get there and do it. Take a step every day. And so that paradigm was in my brain maybe when I was young. I don't exactly remember. But um, this idea of, of no matter what it is, it may just take time and a particular skill set. But if you want to run a multi-hundred million dollar business, find someone who's doing it and get them to mentor you. Or find 10 people that are doing it and learn little things from them, right? It's all there. It's all been done before. Right, so that was kind of where my paradigm came around. If you can't, you must. My philosophy is very, very simple when it comes to my family, particularly, you know, me being a dad. If they're hungry, it's because I'm starving. I don't eat until they eat. I'm not comfortable until they're comfortable. I don't have unless they have. That's the mentality, and that's the mentality that I strictly get from my mother. And so for me, you know, having that kind of mentality, well, what comes with that? What comes with that is a certain work ethic that you have to put forth. It's easy to slip back into, you know, well, you know, I'm not going to push myself. Because when people blow smoke up your ass constantly, 24-7, 365, it's a good feeling, you know. You, you know, uh, Even the I, most vigilant, high-performance person will be subjected absolutely. to Absolutely. You've seen that. A that's why guys like Gates, the late Steve Jobs, Elon, they don't hang. Eagles fly alone. You know, when it's hard for the birds that are flying at 10,000 feet to blow smoke up your ass when you're at 25,000 feet. People are trying to do the impossible right now. They're trying to save what they make. Dude, it's easier just to make another four grand. There's no shortage of money. There's no shortage of money on this planet. There's plenty of money. You said it. Four trillion dollars has been freaking manufactured. You got to first decide there's no shortage. You know, clear up your thinking about what your daddy thinks a lot of money is. And, and get rid of the thinking that you make enough. You don't, nobody does. And then start thinking, okay, my first target should be 125. That gets you in the top 5% of all the earners on planet Earth, okay? If you earn 125 grand a year, it's 10,000 bucks a month. Top 5% planet Earth. Planet Earth, bro, you're on, you're, you're on top, you're, you're, you're at the party now. At least you're, you've been invited to the party of prosperity on planet Earth. I'm not talking about money, man. I'm talking about taking care of your kids. Well, you want to send them to school. You're going to have to buy a car. You probably need a house at some point. You need clothes. You got to have food. You're going to have an emergency. Mm -hmm. You need some freaking dough. Yeah. I'm not talking about money, right? So now if you want to get in the big leagues, now, now you got to start thinking about these other numbers, 250, 400, a million, a million a month. It doesn't take any talent to be a critic. It takes real work to think through an idea and see the world differently from everybody else, articulate it, and then put your reputation on the line and go popularize it. Right? That's work. It's not easy to do. And uh, uh, you have to be willing to be unpopular. You know, when I was 15 years old, starting into my exercise journey, I remember sitting on the couch and not wanting to go to the gym. And it flipped in my brain. I was like, the harder this is, the stronger I become. So the more I feel this pull to stay home, more I go. I was 15 years old and I, it was freezing cold in Canada, you know, grew up in Toronto. And I go out running at five in the morning and people go, why do you do that? Because it sucks. And that was always my belief. It's like, because I hate it. And I would go off until I just threw up or until my lungs burnt. And maybe that was the inner contempt that I felt. But it was also like, I know that I don't want to do this. Nothing about me wants to do this. So I do it. Right. And that may be what allowed me to build that mentality 
to uh, overcome all of those obstacles that occurred during my bodybuilding career, right? And the, man, there was endless obstacles. There was a lot of deterrence. There was a lot of negative mindset. People think I'm just naturally a mentally strong guy, but like, oh man, I had more struggles than anybody. And that's why I succeeded, right? Because I, I used those, those struggles and I looked at them and rather than saying, oh, I can't do it. I go, all right. I don't know if I'm going to come out on the other side, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to try, right? It's just like seeing it as an opportunity for progress. Your greatest obstacle is your greatest opportunity for growth and progress. Um, and if I if I can switch that mindset rather than, oh, that's an obstacle, I don't want to go over there. Run, take the first step and then run full speed. And that's the greatest opportunity for progress. When you see the easy road over there, man, let everybody else go that way. Let them all go that way and you go over there, right? And Again, why did I build big, big legs? I mean, or some people say some of the best legs in all time because nobody else did it. You know, I have so much respect for the guys who build the amount of muscle I did because it's not easy, man. <laughs> it's not, you get it, like it's not easy. Um, and, I, and the amount of struggle I went through and like I had such an obsession because I, I sucked at it. <laughs> you know, it's funny that, um, you know, I was told I'd never be a professional bodybuilder because I had small legs and narrow shoulders. And if you ever want to look at a picture of my bodybuilding career, I had the biggest legs on stage by far and the widest shoulders by far because somebody said that to me and I was like, okay, thank you. Like, right? I'm not going to get mad at you. I'm not going to take it in and go, oh, I don't. He was mean to me. Thank you. Fuel. So willingness to sacrifice. Am I the most disciplined person in the world? No. Am I the most meticulous person in the world? Like some people would believe. No, I'm meticulous enough and I'm disciplined enough. But I always I also know how to let go and relax or whatever. And sometimes I may not be as disciplined as I should be. But I think the key thing is, is that the bottom line is everything to me. And whatever the bottom line requires is what I'm going to do. If the bottom line requires an excessive level of discipline, I'm going to do it. If I can slack off a little bit and still achieve that goal, I might pick and choose from time to time to slack off just a little bit. Yeah. But to me, it's whatever the moment or the situation demands. And it's I'm a bottom lines oriented kind of person. I have an assistant. I have people who work for me. I have people who work with me. They'll tell you I'm very bottom line kind of guy. If you tell me that the job is going to get done and the job is going to get done in an excellent fashion and it requires 90 percent effort, I'll let you go with that. I'll let you get away with that. I'm not going to sweat it. But if this means if this needs one, if this requires 100 percent and you give me 99, I might want to fire you because I'm not I'm about getting the job done. Sure. It's about yep. the results. And I think that, you know, unfortunately, when we look at our generation today, not enough people preach about that. You know, they, why do you they, think that is? Because I think that we live in a society where people have become masters at pointing the finger at other people about reason as to reasons why things don't get done. I think there's too much explanation that goes on. What you taught me to do is to engineer risk into my life. Correct. So now every time I'm faced with a decision, or sometimes even when I'm not faced with a decision, I just think, how can I engineer more risk in this situation? Whereas before, I would try my hardest to engineer less risk in Correct. the situation, which meant growth was slow, and I played it safe, and at the end of the day, it didn't matter anyways. What, so you, a couple people thought okay. I failed? Yeah, so, so, so you played, instead of playing to win, you played not to lose. And one of the, uh, uh, not new concept, we talked about it when you were there a few years ago. When you start a business with, from zero, your first 50,000 in revenue is geometric. 
your next 500,000. Explain that to people. So when you start a business, most any business, those first any fi- business, those first 50,000 revenue is geometric. Because it comes from zero, nothing. Right, it goes from zero to 50, you're just obviously Okay, a, a and then in 50, in from zero to 500 is geometric. Okay, Microsoft started that way, Facebook started that way, Google. But then what people start doing is they start playing, instead of the win, they play uh, not to lose and they start not doing the same things that got them the first gym after growth. But the other more, more important thing in my judgment, and it's really proven really uh, beneficial to the kids in the last year or two, is that that first million in revenue, because we buy revenue, it's easier to buy revenue than, than create it. That revenue that has a million now, we don't know how much he spent or they spent to create that million. So when banks see that, you're de-risking the commercial debt. You're de-risking because you're having cash flow, free cash flow that covers debt service based on somebody else. It may have taken them 25 years to get a million in revenue. And you're buying it in a week, a month. It's always great to let the other person talk. Let them talk, let them just keep talking, throw out a word that gets him a little bit and he'll talk more. And as he's talking, you can kind of figure out his mentality, his personality, what you can get out of him, what you can't get out of him. And um, it helped me a lot in negotiating deals later on. And you know, sometimes you may be the smartest person in the room and you don't want anybody to know that. You just want to keep quiet like you don't know anything. Let them think they're smarter than you. And there's other times when uh, you're not the smartest person in the room, but you want people to think you are. So you have to learn how to have that skill. I learned when I sat back and reflected on the mistakes that I had made in my career at the Mm -hmm. time. I learned that no boss wants to talk to anybody that doesn't have solutions. But there's a flip side. That is very true. There's a flip side. I've never met a boss that doesn't want to talk to someone with solutions. See the difference? Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't want to talk to somebody with problems, and you don't want to talk to somebody with solutions, then to me, you're the problem. Because you're not trying to solve. You want to go with status quo. You're, you're, you're perfectly fine, you know, fine with flowing along, just safe, to get along, secure. safe, secure, whatever. But when you're trying to win, you're constantly looking to get better. 